0: We appreciate you young folks and your commitment to worshiping the Lord, and uh, so interesting that that fit right in with this morning's worship, so it was especially appropriate. Turn with me in your Bibles, please, to Acts chapter 12, Acts chapter 12. We're going to look at the life of John Mark this morning. It's a study in forgiveness and restoration. We'll look at four actions in the life of Mark. First, he received a charge or a commission from the Lord. Second, he ran from the field of battle, he abandoned the work that the Lord had given for him to do. Third, he repented. And fourth, he was uh, the Lord restored Mark to effective service. So we trust that uh, we'll find rich application from uh, the life of John Mark. What is the primary qualification for any servant of the Lord? He's got to be what? Faithful. He's got to be faithful even before his faithfulness. What's the qualification? Gotta love the Lord. He's got to love the Lord and... He's got to be saved. Thank you. Acts chapter 12 and uh, verse 1. Now, about the time that uh, King, about that time King, excuse me, now about the time uh, Herod the king stretched out his hand to harass some from the church, then he killed James, the brother of John, with a sword. And because he saw that it pleased the Jews, he proceeded further to seize Peter also. Now, it was during the days of unleavened bread. What does this have to do with John Mark's salvation? You will see. Herod killed James and uh, went after Peter. And so he had imprisoned Peter. The Lord had other plans for Peter. So he miraculously delivered him from prison, leading him out of the prison late at night and uh, through the prison gates into town. Peter in a daze... um, went to where they were praying for him, naturally enough. And um, he escaped to the house of Mary in verse 11. And when Peter had come to himself, he said, Now I know for certain that the Lord has sent his angel and has delivered me from the hand of Herod and from all the expectation of the Jewish people. So when he had considered this, he came to the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose surname was Mark. And there many gathered together praying. And as Peter knocked at the door of the gate, a girl named Rhoda came to answer. When she recognized Peter's voice, because of her gladness, she did not open the gate, but ran in and announced that Peter stood before the gate. John was named also Mark, we learn in... Verse twelve, perhaps to distinguish him from other Johns, other men named John in the um, in Jerusalem. We learn something interesting about Peter in these verses. Uh, Peter was a regular guest in the house of Mary. We learn in verse uh, fourteen because the girl Rhoda recognized his voice in the dark. We can guess that uh, that he was there regularly in the house as a guest. Why was Peter a guest in Mary's house? Some of our saints in the assembly here invite missionaries and commended workers into their homes for the um, encouragement that they bring and for the godly influence on their families. Perhaps Mary did this as well. We see that Peter had a powerful influence in the life of her boy, John Mark, because Peter led Mark to the Lord. We don't see it here in these verses, but um, uh, looking at um, Peter's first letter, uh, 5.13, he refers to Mark, my son. Paul had reminded the Corinthians, we read recently in his letter to the Corinthians, as my beloved children, I warn you, for though you might have 10,000 instructors in Christ, yet you do not have many fathers. For in Christ I have begotten you through the gospel. Paul had begotten Corinthians through the gospel. He could call them sons and daughters. And apparently, Peter had begotten Mark in the Lord. We're going to see parallels between Peter's life and John Mark's life as we go through uh, this study this morning. What was the gospel that Peter urged Mark to believe? To the Jews gathered in Jerusalem, only uh, shortly before, Peter had preached, Repent, therefore, and be converted, that your sins may be blotted out, so that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. To Gentiles gathered at Cornelius' home, we read about last week, Jesus, uh, Peter preached that Jesus commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that it is he who is ordained by God to be judge of the living and the dead. To him all the prophets witness that through his name, whoever believes in him will receive remission of sins. And he reminded Jewish believers scattered through Asia Minor, knowing that you were not redeemed with corruptible things like silver or gold from your aimless conduct received by tradition from your father's but with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. So Peter's Gospel involved repentance from sin, belief on the name of the Lord Jesus, and redemption through His blood. Yes, uh, to be a servant of the Most High God, a person has to have a relationship with Him. He has to be saved. And Mark uh, was... um, was saved. God calls those He saves to a general work. We read in uh, Acts one eight that He gave a an assignment. He gave a task to His uh, disciples in general. He said, "You shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses to Me in Jerusalem, and in all Judea and Samaria, and to the end of the earth." a general commission to his servants. In the book of Acts, we've seen God's witnesses at work. In Jerusalem, we saw how uh, Peter preached in Acts 2 and 3 and that uh, 3,000 were saved. We've seen his work in Samaria as Philip preached. To whom? To the Samaritans and that multitudes received the Word of God in Samaria. And uh, last week, we saw how Peter preached to Cornelius and to uh, his family and friends and uh, that uh, they too were saved. So the influence of God's Word is expanding from Jerusalem uh, to Judea to Samaria and to the uttermost ends of the earth. So, uh, where is... Um, Where's God going to send His servants next? God gave a specific assignment in Acts 13. Let's read Acts 13, verse 1. Now in the church that was at Antioch, there were certain prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Menaean, who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul, As they ministered to the Lord and fasted, the Holy Spirit said, Now separate to me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then having fasted and prayed and laid hands on them, they sent them away. So being sent out by the Holy Spirit, they went down to Seleucia, and from there they sailed to Cyprus. And when they arrived in Salamis, they preached the word of God in the synagogues of the Jews. They had John as their assistant. The Holy Spirit sent Barnabas and Saul to Seleucia and to to Cyprus. And Mark was a part of that work. We read in verse 5, they had Mark as their assistant. Mark was not new to assisting Barnabas and Saul because we read back up in in, uh, chapter 2, verse 25, Barnabas and Saul returned from Jerusalem when they had fulfilled their ministry, they had uh, taken gifts from Antioch to Jerusalem and uh, had picked up Mark there. And they also took with them John, whose surname was Mark. Mark was their assistant. What do assistants do? Yes, they assist. (laughs) Bill MacDonald would... Invite younger brothers to assist him on his overseas trips, and um, Howard was uh, <clears throat> Howard accompanied Bill to Scotland, and uh, Tom to Scotland, and who else? To where? <clears throat> I'm sure I'm missing others, but um, Bill saw this as a uh, very practical uh, assistance for uh, for these brothers to provide. Responsibilities included preaching, giving personal testimonies, and uh, <clears throat> carrying bags. Very practical. <clears throat> Mark may have done all these things, but also have handled administrative details like arranging for travel, uh, arranging lodging, providing meals for, uh, for the apostles, so that although he was a younger man, he was an important part of the work. <clears throat> As part of this specific assignment, God gave Mark the Apostle Paul as an example. And uh, Paul would, in fact, tell the Corinthians, um, imitate me just as I imitate Christ. He saw that as a a ministry of bringing up younger men and uh, training them for service. Paul was earnest in his service for the Lord Jesus. He was so confident in the uh, power that Christ had given him the authority, the the ministry that he wanted him to do, that he appeared almost reckless in his serving. Later, when warned of danger in Jerusalem, Paul uh, told the Ephesian elders, he said, and see, now I go bound in the Spirit to Jerusalem, not knowing the things that will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies in every city, saying that chains and tribulations await me. But none of these things move me, nor do I count my life dear to myself so that I may finish my course with joy and the ministry which I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the grace of God. Paul served with uh, self-abandon. None of these things, none of these threats, these uh, trials moved him from his, his course, but he was intent on finishing that doing what the Lord wanted them to do. What life insurance company would have offered a policy to this heavenly-minded apostle? Mark was privileged to work alongside Barnabas and Paul. And Paul may have had great expectations of his assistant, but John Mark was not to complete the trip. Mark abandoned the work. He ran from the battlefield in uh, verse 13. Now when Paul and his party set sail from Paphos, they came to Perga in Pamphylia and John, departing from them, returned to Jerusalem. We'll find later in the book of Acts uh, in 1538 uh, specifically that Paul um, used the word departed as the same word as um, used elsewhere in the New Testament to fall away or to apostatize. Very uh, serious. Uh, it was um, uh, Mark abandoning his post. Mark quit. Mark quit. Did he announce at breakfast one morning that uh, I've had enough, I'm through, I'm, I'm leaving? Did he leave a note at night and take the first boat to Jerusalem? We don't know. Uh, we know that Mark left. Uh, picture this: is um, Israel in the desert in their um, in their battle. It says the children of Ephraim, being armed and carrying bows, turned back in the day of battle. Mark was a soldier on guard duty who deserted his post. Mark was a warrior on the battlefield who threw down his weapons and ran. Love and duty should have bound Mark to the course the Lord gave him to follow, but it did not. In a parallel to the Apostle Peter's life, Peter denied the Lord three times. Peter himself had deserted the Lord's army. And during the days, weeks, months that followed, Barnabas and Paul must have regretted the loss of Mark. In Proverbs, we read, Confidence in an unfaithful man in time of trouble is like a bad tooth and a foot out of joint. We go to chew on a broken tooth. We go to step out on a sprained ankle, and it's not available. It's not there for us. And Mark was not available for them. How many times Paul may have said, "Uh, Here we are at this opportunity. Where's Mark? Where's Mark? It wasn't just Barnabas and Paul that Mark disappointed, but he disappointed the Lord Jesus. Why did Mark walk away from the work? Scripture doesn't tell us. Bible scholars suggest several motives. One is uh, racial bias. Gentiles to whom Paul was going out to minister were pagans. They were heathen, unclean, idolaters. In fact, in his introduction to Cornelius, Peter said, "You know how unlawful it is for a Jewish man to keep company with or go to one of another nation." There was a uh, there was this long-standing wall between the uh, the Jews and the Gentiles. On one occasion, the Lord Jesus Himself said that it was that He was not sent except to the lost of the uh, except to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. <clears throat> Mark may have seen the Gentiles as undeserving of God's grace, as unresponsive to his gospel. Remember uh, Jonah, as he approached the city of Nineveh, um, he, <clears throat> he thought that uh, the Gentiles were unworthy of God's favor of, uh, of hearing his warning. So there may have been a racial bias on, uh, on Mark's part Secondly, Mark may have been homesick. He'd been away from Jerusalem now. He'd been in Antioch for a while. He'd been away possibly for months. Um, wanted to get home. Third was fear. Mark may have foreseen the hostility or the contradiction of sinners against the apostles as they proclaim the gospel to Gentiles. Paul had courage enough to face violence, but hey, that was Paul. Had Mark stayed with Paul, he would have seen him stoned in lystra and left for dead. That would have made Mark even more fearful still. Perhaps the responsibilities were too great. Mark may have uh, said as Moses did when God called him in the wilderness, um, Oh my Lord, I'm not eloquent, neither before nor since you have spoken to your servant, but I am slow of speech and slow of tongue. <clears throat> Mark may have thought i'm I'm just a young guy i don't I don't have the uh, uh, the abilities that that the Lord is is looking for. Whatever were his reasons, Mark left. Whatever were his reasons, however, we don't find Mark remaining in his disdain for gentiles or in his fear of violence. Peter repented of his denial of the Lord. He wept bitterly after he had denied the Lord. Peter ran to the empty tomb on the morning of the Lord's resurrection. Peter repented and we find that Mark repented uh, like Peter. Shortly after returning from their first missionary journey, Paul and Barnabas prepared for a second Barnabas could recommend Mark for a second try. Let's look at Acts 15 and verse 36. Then after some days Paul said to Barnabas, "Let us now go back and visit our brethren in every city where we we have preached the word of God of the Lord and see how they are doing." Now Barnabas was determined to take with them John Called Mark. Mark had repented. Barnabas was willing to to take him, give him another try. But it wasn't to be. The memory of Mark's failure was too fresh in Paul's mind, or perhaps Paul thought it was too soon to consider Mark after so um, such a break in uh, in his departure. Paul's disappointment in Mark, you can imagine, was quite extreme. So in verse 38, but Paul insisted that they should not take with them the one who had departed from them in Pamphylia and had not gone with them to the work. This became quite a contention between Barnabas and Paul so that in verse 39, then the contention became so sharp that they parted from one another. And so Barnabas took Mark and sailed to Cyprus. But Paul chose Silas and departed, being uh, commended by the brethren to the grace of God. And he went through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. The Lord was able to use even the bitter disagreement between these apostles for his purpose. He sent out two missionary teams instead of just one. Can we relate to the reasons, the possible reasons that Mark had for his departure If so, we should be able to recognize that there was plenty of reason for Mark to repent. He may have had a prejudice against Gentiles. He may have been homesick. He may have been fearful. And yet, we have uh, reason from the Lord for Mark to have repented. Concerning prejudice, the Lord told Peter concerning the Gentiles and concerning uh, Cornelius in particular, What God has cleansed, you must not call common. What God has cleansed, you must not call common. Paul would write to the Romans, the gospel of Christ is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jew first, and also for the Greek. If people like Mark withheld the gospel from the Gentiles, they could not be saved. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord overall is rich to all who call upon Him. For whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. How then shall they call on Him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in Him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach unless they are sent? The key to overcoming prejudice is to see that God has cleansed. God has called them clean. He desires to save the Gentiles as well as the Jews. The cure to prejudice, then, is to look to Jesus. Concerning homesickness, it's important to realize that the Lord Jesus calls His servants to service. He had said in Acts one eight, He said, "...you shall be witnesses to Me in Jerusalem." and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. To His disciples, the Lord Jesus said, everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or wife or children or lands for My name's sake shall receive a hundredfold and inherit eternal life. It's the Lord Jesus who directs the work. It's for His name's sake. And He assigns the workers. The cure for homesickness is, again, look to Jesus. Concerning fear, the Lord answered Moses about his slow speech. The Lord said to him, Who has made man's mouth? Or who makes the mute, the deaf, the seeing, or the blind? Have not I the Lord? Now therefore go, and I will be with your mouth and teach you. What you shall say. God promised his presence to Jeremiah. Let's turn, in fact, to um, Jeremiah chapter 1. Jeremiah was a fearful young fellow. Jeremiah chapter 1 and verse 4. Then the word of the Lord came to me saying, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I sanctified you. I ordained you a prophet to the nations. That should have been a real comfort to Jeremiah to realize that God's plan started before he was even born. Then I said, uh, Jeremiah, Ah, Lord God, behold, I cannot speak, for I am a youth. But the Lord said to me, Do not say, I am a youth, For you shall go to all to whom I send you, and whatsoever I command you, you shall speak. Do not be afraid of their faces, for I am with you to deliver you, says the Lord. Then the Lord put forth His hand and touched my mouth, and the Lord said to me, Behold, I have put my words in your mouth. See, I have this day set you over the nations and over the kingdoms to root out and to pull down, to destroy and to throw down. to build and to plant. The Lord promised that He would put the words in Jeremiah's mouth and that He would be with Jeremiah in uh, in fearful circumstances. Don't be afraid of their faces. The Lord Jesus made a similar promise to His disciples in the Great Commission. He said, Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them, in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. On this second missionary journey with Barnabas to Cyprus, could John Mark take this promise with him? That the Lord would be with him uh, to the end? Yes, he could, and I believe he did. The cure to fear is to look to the Lord Jesus. In applying all these cures, we find the Lord's forgiveness in His well-worn promise. 1 John one nine: If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Mark found... Forgiveness in the Lord Jesus. But the Lord Jesus not only forgave Mark, but like to Peter, He restored him to effective service. We recall the uh, time when Peter had gone back to fishing after uh, he knew that the Lord was resurrected. And um, it was kind of a time of discouragement for, for Peter but uh, Peter and the disciples in the boat were looking to shore, and they saw the Lord Jesus. And Peter dove in the water and, and swam to shore, and uh, had a personal interview with the Lord Jesus. Three times the Lord asked Peter, "Do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me?" <clears throat> Peter finally, in uh, it wasn't exasperation, but he finally admitted, "Lord." You know I love you. You see my heart. You know that I love you. The Lord Jesus' threefold commission to Peter was, feed my sheep. Jesus had a mission for Peter after his failure. He restored Peter to effective ministry. Feed my sheep. Take care of my church. Shepherd my flock. The Lord would use Peter more effectively in his humility in a restored state than he had before Peter's grievous denial. And Peter knew the power of a restored life and imagined the counsel that he could offer to his uh, spiritual son, John Mark. How effective was Mark's return to service? He'd been forgiven. Was he restored? To service. Turn in your Bibles to Colossians 4. Paul, writing from prison, writes to the Colossians, uh, chapter 4, verse 10. Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, greets you with Mark, the cousin of Barnabas, about whom you received instructions. If he comes to you, welcome him. Mark was there in prison, again assisting Paul, forgiven by the Lord, forgiven by Paul, accepting Paul's forgiveness with devoted service. Mark was able to leave the prison so that years later, Paul would write to Timothy. And let's turn to um, 2 Timothy chapter 4. And verse 11. Only Luke is with me. Get Mark and bring him with you, for he is useful to me. For ministry. This, I believe, sums up Mark's restoration to effective service. Get Mark and bring him with you, for he is useful to me for ministry. What a change in the life of a quitter. We are indebted to Mark for his ministry to Paul. What would Paul have not been able to do, even from prison, without the assistance of? Mark. But we're indebted to Mark as well for the gospel that bears his name. It's not a condensed version of the other gospels. In Mark's gospel, he reveals something the other writers don't about the servanthood of our Lord Jesus. He writes this, Even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life a ransom for many. Mark the Servant. Recording the Lord Jesus' words about servanthood. Without apology, Mark records the Lord's words concerning discipleship. Jesus answered and said, Assuredly, I say to you, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or father or mother or wife or children or lands for my sake and the gospels who shall not receive a hundredfold. Now, in this time, houses, brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecution and in the age to come, eternal life. This same Mark who had shrunk from the demands of discipleship was now faithfully recording those terms. Mark gives prominence to the Lord's great commission. Jesus commissioned His disciples, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature He who believes and is baptized will be saved, but he who does not believe will be condemned. Perhaps there's a believer here this morning who started out for the Lord under full sail, attempted great exploits for the Lord, but through prejudice or fear, you failed. Abandon a relationship or neglected a duty that Jesus greatly values. If you haven't already, seek the Lord's forgiveness. Admit to Him that you failed. Admit that you have done wrong and make things right in heaven and on earth as much as possible. Then watch for Him to apply His restoring touch to your life. For effective service. I'll close this morning with a poem, familiar to some, no doubt it's called The Touch of the Master's Hand. It was battered and scarred, and the auctioneer thought it hardly worth his while to waste his time on the old violin, but he held it up with a smile. What am I bid, good people? he cried. Who starts the bidding for me? One dollar, one dollar. Do I hear two? Two dollars. Who makes it three? Three dollars once, three dollars twice, going for three. But no, from the room far back, a gray a gray bearded man came forward and picked up the bow, then wiping the dust from the old violin and tightening up the strings. He played a melody, pure and sweet, as sweet as the angel sings. The music ceased, and the auctioneer, with a voice that was quiet and low, said, Now, what now am I bid for this old violin as he held it aloft with its bow? One thousand, one thousand. Do I hear two, two thousand? Who makes it three? Three thousand once, three thousand twice, going and gone, said he. The audience cheered, but some of them cried, We just don't understand. What changed its worth? Swift came the reply, the touch of the master's hand. And many a man with a life out of tune, all battered with bourbon and gin, his auction cheap to a thoughtless crowd, much like that old violin. A mess of pottage, a glass of wine, a game, and he travels on. He's going once. He's going twice. He's going and almost gone. But the master comes and the foolish crowd never can quite understand the worth of a soul and the change that is wrought by the touch of the master's hand. Let's pray. Forgiveness is so sweet, Lord Jesus, as um, we see uh, in, the, in the life of John Mark. Uh, we pray, Lord, that... Um, We here who have neglected our duty, we've um, uh, shirked responsibilities, that we might confess those to you, our our failure, our loss, and uh, we might experience that uh, tender forgiveness that you give. And not just forgiveness, Lord, but that you would restore us to uh, that uh, measure of effectiveness that we so long for in your service. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. Amen.